scriptures tell us, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm honored this morning to read the scripture, and we'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So you might turn or follow as we read from this portion of God's word. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others, but let us be silent. Alert, let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Again, we welcome everyone this morning and trust that we all together will have a great service of worship and fellowship and we will enjoy the ministry of the word, be encouraged from it, and challenged as needful in our hearts. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank of you this morning as the Lord of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that in mercy, you have visited us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for him, his willingness to go to the cross where he bore our sins, the sins of all the world, and made possible our new life through his resurrection from the dead. We praise you, dear Father, that our Lord Jesus is coming again to receive us unto himself. We thank you for the church through the ages that is born witness of the life and light available in Jesus. And we thank you this day, Father, that we can be gathered together in this place in his name to worship to lay aside our cares and our burdens, 
to open our hearts and our ears to hear from heaven and from the scripture. May this be a great day, a rich day of worship and fellowship. May we go this day from the house of the Lord, enriched and strengthened for the coming days. We pray for everyone in this service, Lord. Some perhaps are carrying very heavy burdens. We pray that you will help each one of us as we have need to remember those great words of Scripture that we can cast our burdens on the Lord and be sustained. Minister through your servant this morning as he opens the Scriptures and may the Holy Spirit take the things of Christ, the things of the Word, and show them to us. We're mindful this day, Lord, of the nation of Israel and its sufferings. We pray, dear Father, that you will strengthen and we remember the word of Scripture, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we do so this morning, Lord. We know you have great plans for the nation, and we pray for that great day when they too will repent and be ready for eternity. We pray also for the Palestinians, Lord. We know many of them are innocent people suffering. The ravages of warfare have mercy, and may they be comforted and provided for as there is need. Again, Lord Jesus, speak to us this day. Have your will and your blessed way in our hearts. And we pray that all that takes place in this place today will bring honor and glory to the King, the coming King, the great Lord and God, whom we love and who lives in our hearts. In his name we pray, amen. Morning, guys. Well, um, Christmas season is upon us, and uh, I guess everybody's thinking about gifts, right? Getting gifts, buying gifts, um, uh, receiving gifts. But uh, 2,000 years ago, um, the Lord gave us the greatest gift of all, right? And um, he gave it to us not just to come, right? Jesus didn't just come to to be born in that manger and then to, to live a, a perfect life as an example or something like that. Uh, but he came to die. He came to shed his blood. And um, uh, because of that, uh, we can have eternal life. And that's what we want to sing about this morning. Uh, Paul writes about it, right? He says that uh, in First Timothy, he says it's a trustworthy statement and worthy of acceptance that Jesus Christ came to, to save sinners. And so because of that, he's the one we want to magnify this morning. So let's all stand. And that's the theme of our worship this morning, just the goodness of God and his gift of Jesus Christ. And sinners plunge me. 
Bye. 
I have to be able to see you. stuff up here today so you have to excuse me um, thank you Dr. Hughley for reading the word to us this morning it's quite amazing the way he started out because um, we want to kind of take a look at this issue of rest this morning some and so I was just amazed that's why I was kind of laughing when he was quoting that scripture, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, I mean, you're just so good. Um, can I just give you some information before we start? Okay, good. So, it, you should have been given at the door a little uh, card, and this card is your scripture for uh, part of the month. It'll just, I'll give you one every week. So, every week, you will receive a card, and that card um, will be your um, direction for the week as it relates to reading the Scripture. Is that okay? And uh, hopefully you'll be able to you know, carry that around and, um, and use that, and the Lord will remind you of um, just how wonderful 
uh, the gift of the Lord Jesus coming in the flesh is uh, so that we might have uh, life, eternal life uh, with him. And so I hope that um, you'll take these cards and, and use them. And you can um, give them to others, maybe. Maybe that would be a good little exercise. Uh, after you're done with your card, you could pass that on to a family member or a friend, right? And um, it's always good to pass on Scripture. And maybe instead of handing them a Bible, you could just hand them a little card. And then they can go and read those Scriptures. All right, so that's one thing I wanted to say. Um, the other... Um, Baptism is going to be Christmas Eve uh, this year. We're going to do baptism uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, that morning, our service will be at 1030. Uh, we will not have Sunday school um, on Christmas Eve, but we will have, obviously, a morning worship. It will start at 1030. There is no special designated time. It will be 1030 like it always is. But we will have baptism and, and already have uh, three candidates uh, for baptism and uh, what a great, great time to be able to do that. If you want to join that group, uh, I'd love for you to, to do that. You can call the church office and set up a time to um, meet with me. Or you can just catch me as I'm walking out. Just grab me by the collar or whatever it is that you want to do. And I uh, say, stop that. I want to talk with you. And I'd love to do that. Because it truly has been already a very enriching time meeting with a couple of um, Candidates, And so I just praise the Lord for that. Don't you? Yes, you do. Because these are folks who have come to know Christ and um, want to say that publicly and want to profess publicly that they want to live for the Lord. And that's always a wonderful thing. Amen? So, all right. The third thing I'd like for you to do is take your Bibles and go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. I didn't choose this psalm. The Lord did. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily have done that. Um, it is, oh my goodness, it is a very um, powerful psalm. It is one that I probably should have read and studied when I was younger. You know, have you ever kind of read a book or something? You know, I should have read that 20 years ago. Uh, or read a passage of scripture maybe you aren't familiar with and, and thought, man, I should have done that, you know, 10 years ago. I should have done that when I had kids. <laughs> you know, I, I should have done that when I first got married, right? Just the scriptures that, that maybe you look at and you go, well, I wish I would have. This is one of those uh, for me. Um, this is a, a very um, thought-provoking psalm. I don't know that people would turn here to necessarily enjoy reading, <laughs> like if they're going to pick a passage to enjoy, per se, but it really, guys, it really puts life in perspective. Just, it hits us where we are. So it doesn't matter, the beautiful part, um, it's for every age group, because you don't know when your last day is. See, we like to think in terms of years. But Moses talks in terms of days. I think that's a good practice, right? We don't need to necessarily think in terms of years. It's better that we would think in terms of days. Because today could be the last day. 
for you or for me. We like to think, well, I've got another year. I've got another 10 years. Or you hear folks, well, I'll trust Christ when I'm 90. Well, who says you're going to make it to 90, right? You might not make it another 10 minutes. I mean, we don't know because, listen to this, we're not in charge of our days. <laughs> right? That just hits man. If man was just walking in here, right, a bunch of pagans, 100 pagans, they want to punch me in the mouth. The reality is we don't control our days. Our days were ordained, as the Bible says, before there was even one. You okay with that? <laughs> you need to be okay with it because whether you like it or not, you're going to live only as long, and I'm going to live only as long as the Lord has ordained. This psalm is um, discussed in terms of setting. When was it in Moses' life that he wrote this psalm? Um, there's discussion about that. And there are two primary periods that are discussed. One is um, when Israel sends the spies to spy out the land. And you remember in Numbers 13. And um, they send 12 spies. And 10 come back and say, yeah, no way, Jose. We can't enter that land. There's giants there, Right? Uh, they're, they're greater than us. This is not possible. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Now remember, this is something the Lord had promised them, this land. Well, two come back and say, absolutely. You remember who they are, right? Joshua and Caleb. Yep, this is good. We're good to go. Well, who wins out? The majority wins out. And after that... The Lord, it tells us in the word that the Lord um, ordained that they would spend how many years in the wilderness? Forty years wandering around. And by the way, we want to add something to that today. They were wandering around a cemetery because that's what it became. It became a cemetery. And you'll see that later as I show you some figures. It was a place of death for 40 years. Well, that's Numbers 13. So it could have been around that time frame. And you're going to see over this week and next week, there was a lot of sin in the life of Israel. And with sin came death. You know, we can take that all the way back to Adam, can't we? With sin came death. And some of that's here even in this text. Another um, potential is that um, this was written when at the end of, toward the end of Moses' life, um, where there were three events that took place 38 years later that were critical events in Moses' life as, as he experienced them. And Numbers 20 records it. Um, Miriam, his sister, dies. You remember Miriam, right? The prophetess, Exodus 15. If you read another one of Moses' songs, right up front there is Miriam. And then you have Aaron who dies, right? His brother. Those are two huge events in the life of Moses, but then the third event, I think contextually, Moses could have been thinking some about this as well when he wrote this, if indeed he did write it at the end or toward the end. You remember when Moses struck the rock out of anger? Um, the Bible tells us that the Lord said that Moses, you will not enter the promised land. 
Now, for us, we read that and we go, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Here's a guy who led two and two point something million people out of Egypt. And because of the disbelief and because of Moses' response, then he doesn't enter the land that God had promised. Big deal. So that's kind of the setting when we come to Psalm 90. Now, there is some debate, just to make mention of it, in case you're reading your notes that you have in your Bible, study Bible. There are some that don't necessarily attribute Moses to being the one who wrote this, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that he did not write it. He wrote two other songs, Exodus 15 and then Deuteronomy 32 is another song that Moses wrote. It was interesting, as Dr. Hughley was praying, um, this is a prayer. That's, if you have it um, there in your Bible, it says a, a prayer of Moses. When, when you think of someone praying, what comes to your mind? What are the things that you think of? Um, well, we think that this person is praying to the Lord. But have we really considered many prayers in terms of messages? Like there's a message in that prayer. Dr. Hughley had a message in his prayer today. Did you catch all the messages? Like, there were many sermons. I could have come up here and said, class dismissed, let's go home. Because within his prayer, there are so many things that he said about the Lord that were great reminders for us as the church. Well, Moses has got a lot of things here for Israel. And some of them are great, and some of them are tough. The great part, you're going to be good with. The tough part, you're going to be like, Because there's a lot of things here that Moses reveals as he's walking through this, as he's praying to the Lord, that are worthy of consideration. And worthy of consideration beyond just this 30 to 40 minute period of time. The great part is that we have two weeks to cover this. And there's only 17 verses. And with my track record, that will not be a problem. Okay, We're going to cover... Verses 1 through 6 this morning. So I want to read those, and then we'll talk, pray a little bit and talk a little bit more. All right? Psalm 90. Lord, I want you to notice, if I don't mention this later, I probably will, but it's L little O, little R, little D. You say that, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Because it's a different name for God. It's the term Adonai. Okay? Um, it's not Yahweh, and that's significant. It, it points to some things, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Those terms are different in the Hebrew. The word earth there means land. The word world there means everything else, Okay? So he's pointing out the land. You gave birth to the land and the world, everything else. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 3, you turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight or like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept away them away like a flood. They fall asleep. 
In the morning they are like new, excuse me, like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Let's pray. Lord, um, please help me by your spirit this morning to communicate your truth so that we might learn and grow by it. We thank you that uh, the Spirit of God is our teacher in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, classic song by definition is one that sounds just as good as it did when first released no matter how long ago. That's a pretty good definition. Where'd you get it? Internet. That's where I got it. I looked up the definition of classic song. What's a classic song? Well, I grew up in in high school. I I was in high school between 1978 and 1982. That was a couple of years ago. And in the fall of 1978, there was a song that would become a classic that was released. Do you remember the song? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Just thought maybe somebody might say something. Because as I'm looking around the room, there's several of you who were around in 1978. So I know that you remember 1978, right? Between 1978 and 1982 is when I was in high school. Many songs came out, but this one came out, and you still hear it today. And it's sung a lot of times in sporting venues. It was sung by the village people. Some of you are laughing. Some of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. right? But you've heard it because you've been to uh, sporting venues, YMCA. Right? You remember that song? That song just it, it's just lasted time, has it not? I mean, every generation you hear it sung, and, and I don't know if you're a young person, you're thinking, man, that song, that's a really cool song. When did that song come out? The fall in October of 1978. That's been a few years ago. But people sing it today like it was yesterday when they heard it for the first time. Well, I have entitled this message a classic song psalm 90 to me is a classic song it's one of those that just because we haven't studied it as much or maybe read it as much it is worthy of reading and studying over and over and over again um at least that's thad's viewpoint um i don't know about yours but that's mine I broke down this psalm um, really in, there's four different sections we want to talk about, two of them this morning. Our first section we want to talk about is in verses 1 and 2 in what I am entitling a classic song. All right? Um, Let's see here. First point that Moses makes in the song, in his prayer, is this. He makes it to Israel. It's a reminder to them, the Lord is our resting place. The Lord is our resting place. Well, if you look at the life of Israel, when they were believing the Lord, when they were trusting in the Lord, when they were trusting in the Lord, they were resting in Him. They were believing in Him. Um, it's a beautiful picture here that the Lord was the resting place for, for Israel. 
And you could say that what a resting place because there was no one like the Lord. And he points out some things about the Lord that, that prove that to Israel as he is praying. Um, I don't know how many of you view the Lord as a resting place, but hopefully in a few moments when I give you some things to think about as it relates to the church, it'll kind of, that, that picture will kind of come to you because there's nothing greater than knowing that the Lord is a constant or can be a constant resting place in my life as a believer. Because there are troubles that we go through in life. There are things that bring anxiety with them as we go through life. How many times as a parent have you been thankful that the Lord is your resting place when you're raising kids? Right? Or it could be that your job's not going so well and, and you find that, wow, this is trouble here, but my resting place is the Lord. When I thought about the resting place, I thought about rest areas. Uh, I don't know why, but I just did. And the other day I was thinking, Lord, you're, you're like, you're my rest area. That's a good thought. You know, I like to travel. I like to drive. There are two rest areas that are not like any other rest areas. Some of you may actually have been to some of these rest areas. There, there's one off of I-22. You know, it took a gazillion years to finish that. But they finally did. And when you go on I-22, when you come to that Mississippi rest area, any of you ever been in that rest area? That's not like just any other rest area. I mean, you walk in there, it's not just the, 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 the plain things. It's not just a, a bathroom. Man, you walk in, and, and there's people there, and they want you to sign the guest book, and, and, and they want you to enjoy some coffee, and there's rocking chairs, and it's just a really nice place to be. It's top level. You know what Moses is reminding the children of Israel about? Your resting place, top level. It's the Lord. There's another rest area that maybe some of you have been to. It's off of I-20 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. There aren't many things nice in Mississippi, but they have nice rest areas. (laughs) And as you're driving along Interstate 20 coming uh, into Vicksburg, there's a rest area. How many of you have been to that one? Oh, some of you need to do some driving. This one is at the top of the hill, and, and there, it overlooks the river, and um, it's just an amazing view. Um, it's like the one off I-22. It's not just your, you know, there's a bathroom, a place to stop. No, man, there's a lot of things there, His, historical things there at the rest stop, at the rest area. It's top tier. In fact, do you know, we went to, two years ago, went on a trip with Andy and Joan and Bill and Debbie, and I planned to come back on Interstate 20, and one of the reasons was I love that rest area. And you know what? It's not easy to get to. When you're coming toward um, uh, Jackson, it's not easy to get to. You're driving, you actually have to get off and then come back over the overpass and drive, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Every minute more, it's worth it. Israel, 
The Lord is your resting place. But notice he uses the personal pronoun, our. He's our resting place. He's not just yours. He's mine. Top shelf. When we think about resting in the Lord, no matter what we go through in this life, top shelf. He's top shelf. No one else can offer you the rest that the Lord does. No one. And who doesn't want rest? Well, the definition there uh, of the term dwelling place is the word that's often uh, translated for us in the Hebrew. It's the word, I'm going to attempt, please, please Lord, to write today. It's the term refuge. Our safe place. You have a safe place, right? A safe place, a place you like to go to where it's just you and the Lord, right? Well, Moses is reminding Israel that they have a safe place. They have a secure place. And that place is the Lord. That's good stuff. Now, the word itself communicates three things, at least, this word dwelling place. It communicates what one needs. Ah, now listen to me. Israel needed to rest in the Lord. We agree with that? They needed to do that. I believe that came about as a result, as I study my Bible, when Israel believed in the Lord on a day-by-day basis, there was rest. When Israel did not, there was unrest. In fact, there was sin And then there was death that came about for Israel. So Israel needed the Lord. Well, how often does one need the Lord? One needs the Lord all the time, right? And so Israel needed the Lord all the time. Um, What am I doing on this thing? Van, you might have to come up here. Please, Lord, thank you. You don't have to come up here. Israel needed to rest in the Lord all the time. The message for the church is no different. You say, Thad, do we rest in the Lord any different from Israel? Well, we have a little bit of an advantage. And you're going to see that in a few moments. All right? So it's, the word communicates what one needs. Um, it, the word communicates where one is secure. All right? Where one is secure. When I think of secure, I think of safe. And you know what I think of? I always think of babies, right? And, and I see moms, and, and, and I've seen my wife, who is a mom, and how she um, would take our boys and just, just hold them. When our boys were growing up, one of the things I found out um, firsthand I used to think it, but I found it out firsthand, is there's no one that can bring comfort to a crying baby like a mom. And I thought, well, hey, what's so special about Teresa? I'm good. And so when one of my boys would would cry, I'd be like, pick him up, and and I would attempt to do that special holding thing that they have, and they'd just keep crying. And I'd set them down and say, they're all yours. Because I couldn't do it. 
I couldn't provide what she could. And I think that sometimes, maybe as we look back to Israel, we learn from Israel, sometimes they were resting in themselves, right? They were resting in their strength and their power and their might and, and, and their life, and they weren't resting in the Lord. So this word dwelling place is what one needs. Israel needed the Lord. Where one was secure, Israel was safe when they were in the Lord. When they were trusting in the Lord, they were safe. When they weren't, it wasn't good news. All right? The last thing the word communicates is where one is able to rest. Okay? Where one is able to rest. So a dwelling place is where one is able to rest. How many of you call your, the place you stay a house? How many of you call it a home? Different. Different? I think different. Man, I rest really, really well in my home. I've been to a lot of different houses. And do you know, as much as I enjoy some people's homes, there's nothing like being at home, is there? Huh? And listen to me, young people, you just think you want to leave home, right? One day you're going to want to leave, but then one day you're going to return, right? But one day you're going to establish your own home. Israel's home was the Lord. That's where they were at rest. And that's where we are at rest when we are in the Lord, all right? All right, well, there is a quote here by A.W. Tozer that I really like. It says, the Lord has made us so that we would find rest only in him. You know, when I think of rest too, I think of peace. There is no peace like the peace of the Lord. Young people, can I talk to you just a minute? When you're growing up, you know, you got all these pressures and all these anxieties. And, and they're, they're like in your gut, right? You just carry them around. And it can even make people when... Especially, I remember, uh, I was a pretty anxious young man. And I remember my stomach hurting a lot just because of the anxieties of life. Young people, listen to me. There is no rest like the rest you can have in the Lord. I want you to hear me. It's very, very important. And all these other people that are older, they know that. That the rest you need is in the Lord. Okay? So when you're facing those things in life that are like, wow, I don't know what to do. The Lord will give you rest. And He can give you peace. The issue is trusting in him, okay? That's the issue, all right? And I want to encourage young people. Us older folks, we're still learning to do that. That's a lifetime thing, okay? All right, so A.W. Tozer says, The Lord has made us so that we would find rest only in him. That's a good reminder. Well, so we move from the definition of dwelling place to the what I've labeled the blessings. Look on your sheet, the blessings. Um And truly, Israel had tremendous advantage over every other people because their resting spot was the Lord, all right? And so, in verse 1, it tells us about their resting place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, okay? And then it says, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world... Even from everlasting to everlasting, your God. 
There are blessings contained in those first two verses as it related to Israel's resting place. For the first one was this. Their resting place, has, he says to them, has been the Lord. It's been Him. Now, why did I emphasize that? Because of the, the uh, L, little o, little r, little d. Different term than the term Yahweh. It's the term Adonai. And there are at least three things that are stressed in that that Israel needed to hear. Because notice Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And so when he's talking about the Lord here, he's talking about one who was master, right? Master. One who was majestic. Okay? So... Moses says, hey, Israel, your resting place, he's the master, he's majestic. You know what that word majestic means in the Hebrew? It means above all. In other words, Israel, there's no one like the one that you're resting in. But then there's a third word that's attached to this uh, word, Lord, and it's that the Lord is relational. It's a relationship term. They have a relationship with the Lord. Um, And Moses was careful to point out that in his prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Um, Notice under the blessings, not only had the Lord and was the Lord their resting place, but the resting place has been, he says to them, the same for all generations. You say, what in the world is... Is Moses referring to? Could it be that Moses was even even thinking about all the way back to Abraham? In other words, hey, Israel, Moses, uh, the Lord has hadn't just started being your resting place; He's been our resting place for generations, right? And you know what's so awesome, guys? The Lord God is our resting place today. Isn't that awesome? All right. So not only was the Lord's the resting place for Abraham. And for Moses, but the Lord was the resting place for the disciples. The Lord's the resting place for the church. Okay, and that's what he's communicating here in these verses, in these first two verses. And then he says something else about the resting place. And it's third, has always been, he says, Israel, your resting place has always been and always will be. Uh. (laughs) Go find that somewhere else. You can't. The Lord is the resting place because he's everlasting. He's not like the gods of Egypt. He's not like the gods as, as you continue in Israel's history. He's not like the gods of Babylon. Our God's alive, Israel. He is the one who is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. I mean, how many verses are there in the Bible that speak about the eternality of the Lord? He is from everlasting to everlasting. So he's talking to them about their resting place. And he says, this is what that is. And these are the blessings that you have as a result of the Lord being your resting place. That's good stuff. So I began to think about suggested formulas for the church. Because the Lord is our resting place. There are some key things for us because there's a distinct difference in the Old Testament to the New Testament as it relates to the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon believers. There's a couple of times where he indwelt them. But 
primarily he came upon them. When you come to the New Testament, after the church begins, what does it tell us about the Spirit of God? He indwelt men. And so as we think about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, that's one of the tremendous advantages. So there are some suggestions here that I've given to you uh, in order that we might rest. One is that we would walk by the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Be filled with the Spirit. That's a really critical thing in our lives, that we be filled with the Spirit. If you do some, some word study on that word filled, it means controlled, but it also has the idea of being led by Him continually. Being led by Him continually. And so, wow, that's on us, right? That we would be every day with the mind that we would be led, controlled by the Spirit of God. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And you know what happens as you're being filled with the Spirit, as you're being led by the Spirit? You know what that produces? Singing. There's a song you have, right? And that's what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. So part of the formula, I believe, for us resting is being filled by the Spirit. The second thing that I have there for you comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2, um, I'll read these verses because I think they're worthy of our consideration. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter encourages the believers. Now, in context, and it's very important to have context. In context, um, these were suffering saints. They were suffering for the Lord. And it's interesting, in the midst of the suffering, Peter talks to them about longing for, that they needed to long for the Word of God. In fact, I want you to listen to what Peter says. He says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, which all those things are sin, <laughs> right? Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that you might grow in respect to salvation. So he's telling them, hey, long for the word. Put the word of God in your life. Is that a formula for peace and rest? Absolutely it is. Because you know what happens? If I'm not in the Word of God and concentrating on the Word of God, you know what can happen to me as a Christian? I get so caught up in myself and all the different little things in my life that are uncomfortable, the next thing you know, all I'm thinking about is me. I'm not even considering what the Lord has said about me or about Him in terms of our relationship. And so it's imperative that one long for, have a strong desire for. You guys understand what it means to have a strong desire for something, right? There are times when I'm driving down Highway 11 that I pass Captain D's and I have a strong desire. Have you ever asked for their cracklings? Praise the Lord. Heart attacks, they're not on a stick, but they're definitely heart attacks. But they're so good. But I can be dry. I've even done this where I've been driving down Highway 11, hadn't had lunch yet, past Captain D's and go, yep, I'm turning around. And so I turn around and I get in that line and I order fish and I get fries. Listen to how healthy this is. And I get hush puppies 
and then you can ask for cracklings. And then, just so I feel better about doing what I'm doing, I get their green beans. And those green beans are really good. I double up on the green beans. I figure they're kind of interacting there with the cracklings. So uh, I don't quite know how that works. But I understand what desire is, and that's exactly what Peter's saying. Hey, look, you need to have a desire for the Word of God. So that could be helpful in resting, our resting in the Lord. And then the third suggestion that I would have for all of us is that we would rely on the Lord. You want to rest? Rely. Um, there's a passage you can go home and read this afternoon, but Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say it really well. Right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's a the hard part. Circle that part. Because you're letting the request be known, but he says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a difference maker right there. Right? People always want the peace. I tell people when they come to me, they say, you got to do verse 6 before you can get verse 7. <laughs> right? And they're in their order. And in verse 6 it says, hey, give it all to the Lord with thanksgiving. And verse 7 says, hey, in the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ. And I know I've told you before, but it's a great picture that word guard there in the original language is a picture of a Roman garrison, which was about five or 6,000 soldiers. I think he's got it. Isn't that amazing? He's better than having five or 6,000 Roman soldiers guard you. So I don't care what you're going through in your life. God can give you rest. Isn't that good? God and God alone can give you rest. All right, well, so... He reminds Israel, hey, he's our resting place. And then in 3 through 6, he reminds them that the Lord is different from man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here's what it says in Psalm 90, verses 3 through 6. We see the frailty of man. Man is so fragile. Don't you just love those people you run into? And they're like, yeah, I got life by the throat, you know. I got a hold of life. And listen to me. Our days, our days, the Lord gives us a picture in comparison of an eternal God versus how fragile life is. <laughs> He's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Man's days are like that. Like a vapor. Look what it says, verse 3. You turn man back into dust. And say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night, you have swept them away like a flood. <laughs> they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew in the evening. Excuse me, in the morning anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. But there's some things here that we need to consider. The first thing under the fact that the Lord is separate from man is that um, uh, we need to consider that statement there in the beginning of that point. God returns man to dust. It literally reads this. You turn man to destruction. 
He said, I don't like that. I'm sure Israel didn't like it either. But Moses is reminding Israel who's in charge of their days and that he is the one, right, in charge of those days. He's the one that takes life. The Bible tells us that he crushed man. That's what the word there means. He crushes man. And in the context of the passage, all you'd have to do to prove that the Lord crushes man is you go back in the life of Israel. I mean, Israel sinned, and with it came a crushing at times. Right? The Lord turned them back to dust. You say, that, that sounds terrible. Well, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, tells us that Israel is an example for us of what to do and what not to do. Did you know in the life of Israel, because of immorality, 23,000 fell in one day? So I believe in the context of the passage, Moses is reminding Israel of their days and that the Lord is the one that brings man back to dust. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, He made man from dust. Wow. Now, what's the context of Genesis chapter 2? Before sin or after sin? Before sin. Okay? So, God takes dust and he forms man. Okay? That's before sin. In chapter 3, man sins. And what was one of the consequences of the sin of man? Say it louder. Death. Death. I believe that Moses is reminding Israel, hey, it's not you. It says here, you, Lord, you turn man back into dust. You crush him. And there were many crushing times in the life of Israel, as we're going to look at more next week. But he made man from dust. He returns man to dust. He does that. Now, I've had people ask me question about, questions a lot of times about, hey, what happens to my loved ones you know, when they die? Well, um, they decay. Their bodies decay. Do you know what the Bible tells us? That's not a problem. By the way, it's not a problem. Um, because the Lord's got it. You know what the Bible tells us in First Thessalonians? The dead in Christ will rise first. You know what 1 Corinthians says? That we're going to get a new body. Right? This um, mortal must put on immortality. Oh, that's good. So when we know, right, that man returns to dust, but do we know and believe that God is going to take us one day if we die and we're going to receive that new body. Can't even imagine what that's going to be like. And the immaterial part of man is going to join with what, man, what God creates. And we're forever going to be with him, with a new body. You like that? If you don't, something's wrong with you. But who's in charge of all that? Do you believe the Lord numbers man's days? Yeah, he does. 
And I think it's one of those questions that you either do or you don't. That sounds maybe harsh. I don't mean it that way, but it's true. We say God's sovereign. Well, he is. He He knows man's days. He's not surprised when man dies. Is he? He's not. He's ordained them even before there was one. Psalm 103 is a great reminder, verse 14, of that. And you can read that this afternoon when you go home. And you can look up some other scriptures that point out to man and his days and his death and all that. Doesn't that just sound like a great activity in the afternoon? Make sure you pick up Captain D's before it'll be better. All right. So he returns man to dust. That's what Moses says in this song. But God knows also the brevity. The brevity of man's life. Guys, life is short. It goes by. Look at the way that he that this is described as Moses looks at an eternal God and he talks about the days of man. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. (laughs) It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. Right? The Lord's not, he's outside of time. But as we look at it, right? We think, oh, man, it's going to be ages before I turn 50. All those old people. Wow, it goes by quick, young people. Are you listening to me? This is how it happens in the life of students. They go from being babies, they don't know anything, to being toddlers, and they're running around acting like wild animals. And then they grow up, and they get to be a teenager, and they know everything, right? They, They know it all. They write the books on, we know everything. And then they, they can't wait till they turn 16. And I'm going to drive, and that's so wonderful. And man, there comes a lot of responsibility with that. Be careful, young people. And then they're like, oh, I can't wait to get out of the house and leave mom and dad or whoever's watching over me. And I'm going to get my own place and have my own. And, that, and then it just doesn't turn out like you think. You're like, man, what happened to that? And then you get married, you find that person. Thank you, Lord, for providing this person. And you're like, we're, gonna, we're never going to argue. We're never going to have any issues. And then, and then something happens. And they wake up and go, yeah, we are going to argue. And we have kids, and we're still going to argue. And those kids at times are going to be such wonderful blessings. And at times you're going to be like, oh, my goodness. And you're like, in your late 20s and then in your early 30s and the next time you look at the clock you're 50 the next time you look at the clock you're retiring and then you have people who've asked me I want you to listen this is hard when a pastor's asked this you have people that are in their 80s and 90s and they look at you and they say dad why is the Lord keeping me here Because he's got your days ordained and you have life to live for him. Life goes by, young people. When compared to a thousand years, it's like yesterday that's gone. When compared, he says, to a watch in the night. You know what that is? You know what a watch in the night equated to? Four hours. 
four hours. The other night, I kissed Teresa goodnight. I looked at her, and then next thing you know, I'm waking up. He goes by, watching the night, four hours. I want you to look at something because I want you to know what theologians spend their time talking about. It says, um, or as a watch in the night, you have swept them away like a flood. Okay? Well, that makes some sense. Well, how does a flood come? It comes quickly. You know how that's a cue, by the way. It comes quickly. And I can tell you by experience it comes quickly. I lived in southwest Louisiana. And do you know when they say a hurricane would come? They'd be like, yeah, we're going to get a few inches. Next thing you know, you're waking up like we did one year. A hurricane came. I get up, step out of my bed, and there's water on the floor, six inches at least. You're dry, as dry as a bone the day before. Next thing you know, because of all this rain, you're stepping out of your bed, and you're like, hey, Dad, there's water in the house. And, and when there was water in your house in southwest Louisiana, there were critters in your house. There were things that swim. I didn't even know that some things could swim in the water that swim in the water, but they do. What are one of the coolest pictures, though? Ant beds. You ever seen ant beds float? If you haven't, go when there's a hurricane down to Louisiana. Go right after, and then you can, or just go right before, and you'll be able to see it. They have motorboats going down the road. I mean, I'm talking about one day, no water. The next day, it's flooding. Moses' point is it's quick. Well, this is what I wanted to show you. That's what it says. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. Um, does that phrase apply to you've swept them away like a flood? Or does it apply to they fall asleep and then morning they're like grass which sprouts anew? I don't know. Because there are good discussions on both sides of the issue. So it could be one theologian says, well, life is like when one falls asleep. It, you know, it takes a nap is his thought. You you say, I'm going to get me a good two-hour nap, and you're like, have I already been laying down two hours, right? You ever had that happen? When you get older, you get that 30. By the way, 30 minutes is better than two hours, okay? There's a little wisdom for you. Don't take two-hour naps. Don't do that. It's not good for your body. Take 15 to 20, a whole lot better, all right? So theologians discuss that. I kind of look at it like um, when compared to the floodwaters, Life is like that. And I kind of think he's saying they fall asleep. And that word asleep there is death. Okay? So when compared with floodwaters, they come quickly. And then the last point he makes, when compared to the morning and the evening, notice what it says, in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Well, back up to verse 5. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes. What does? Grass does. Right? The dew of the morning is the picture there. All right, and sprouts anew, and you look at it and go, man, that's some good grass. Look at that grass. Well, in the afternoon, it withers and it fades away. And the picture here is that man's life in the morning, right? It's 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 vivacious, it's it's lively, and in the afternoon, it's dead, dries up. That's the picture. Life comes and goes, as one author said. It just comes and goes. So when compared uh, to the morning and the evening, the night moisture makes it flourish. By the afternoon, 
and the sun dries it up, in case you're filling in blanks. The sun dries it up. In other words, when compared to, to our lives, our life is here, and then it's gone. All right, a couple more things, and we'll finish up for this morning. I like what Billy Graham said about life. Look at, you'll, look at this quote. The greatest surprise in life to me is the brevity of life. Do you know how old Billy Graham lived to be? 99. That's kind of ironic. I thought that's a pretty ironic quote. Here's a man who, le- who lived a long time, but recognized that it's here and it's gone. You know, for Moses, he saw a lot of life and a lot of death. And I gave you something just to have. Several theologians put this together, so I didn't attribute it to just one, but... As they're describing the, wonder, uh, the wilderness wanderings and all the population that Moses had to deal with, poor guy, he needed to pray a lot. Um, and all these folks that, that he dealt with, in the book of Numbers, uh, when numbering the armies, um, there's a figure there of 600 and 3,550 men, okay, men, because he's numbering the armies. Not women and children. So men. Well, um, this would give us insight into to all that went on there with Moses, with all the life and all the death that was going on. So there were 603,550 men. There were approximately uh, 2.2 to 2.4 million total people. Goodness gracious. Imagine pastoring that many people. 2.2 to 2.4 million. By the way, the, one, the Lord sure did supply him a, a good father-in-law to give him wisdom on how to, hey, you need some help, <laughs> right? Um, and he did. Well, the next figure is, all right, so there were 2.2 to 2.4 total in the nation of Israel. 1.2 million of those would die uh, in the wanderings of, of, of Israel during that time. That's a lot of people. So that's why I called it a graveyard. I mean, it is a cemetery, right? Um, you say, well, take that further. They did. That's 30,000 deaths on average each year. That's a lot. Okay. And that math goes then to 82 on average per day. 
Not, don't go back last hour. Right now on. Is that something to even consider? I kind of think so. How will we live? Well, I like what John Piper said in terms of one of the keys to living life for the Lord. And, and we'll end with this, and I got one little story for you. Um, he says the key to living the Christian life is a hunger for the Lord, for the Lord himself. Right? Having that continuous hunger for the Lord. That's the idea. That you and I would have a continuous hunger for the Lord himself. You know, there were times when you look at Israel and they had a hunger for the Lord. But there were times when Israel was far away from the Lord. And sometimes that happens, I think, with you and me, even in our life as Christians. We're closer to the Lord at times. And then at times we're not. I was reading about, this is a pretty awesome illustration of a guy who was converted to Christ. And this is kind of how he thought of his life. What's interesting is this is a Muslim man who was converted to Christ. And he was converted to Christ almost 10 years ago. And he wrote this prayer. I thought it was really interesting. He says, oh God, I am, and I'm not going to read his name. He says, I am so-and-so, the tailor. And I work at the shop. The whole day long, I sit and pull the needle and the thread through the cloth. I love it. He says, oh God, you're the needle, and I am the thread. I am attached to you, and to you I want to follow. When the thread tries to slip away from the needle, it becomes tangled and must be cut so it can be put back in the right place. Oh God, help me to follow you wherever you lead me in the life that you've given me. That's pretty good. And that's something for us to consider this morning as we close uh, together. Um, after I pray, we're going to play a song. And this song is Psalm 90. Who wrote it? Who wrote the song? Sovereign Grace wrote this song, uh, and it's Psalm 90. And so I want you to hear it, and we're probably going to play it again next week. That's just the way it is, right? And young people, you'll appreciate it because you get older, you forget. But this song is so powerful as it relates to the words of Psalm 90. So let me pray um, for us. So Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your word, and um, thank you for the reminders that we have through your word of the fact that, Lord, you are our resting place. You're not like man. You're from everlasting to everlasting. Man's life is just so brief. But, Lord, help us to appreciate the life that we have. As we're going to see next week, help us to consider our days. The days. This day you've given us, Lord. What will this day be about? And um, so we just want to consider those things. And we pray all that in the name of Christ. Amen.
that a great song? Um, you know, guys, i probably ask you to do this next week, too. But um, in verse 12, uh, Moses has a request of the Lord. He says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Um, my heart was really heavy this week. And Tuesday, um, I went home and I just had a really um, great time with the Lord. And just was thinking about all the days the Lord's already given me. And I began to measure, which I'm a pretty analytical fellow. And I begin to measure what I've done with my days. And uh, I think it's a good, um, maybe a good thing for all of us to do. Uh, ask the Lord to measure our days. And what are we spending our time doing? And uh, I know for me it's a, a big conviction. And I um, just pray, pray that the Lord will show you um, what he wants for you out of this uh, lesson today. Uh, let's stand and uh, close in prayer as we do. I just want to make mention, if you're visiting with us or have been, uh, some have signed up for the visitor's luncheon, but if you're visiting and you want to know more about Grace, we'd love to have you come. And uh, I think we're having Taco Mama, <laughs> so just to give you that. Um, but we're going to uh, eat, eat together and talk a little bit more about uh, Grace. And so if you're interested, uh, please stay. And it'll be right there in the fellowship hall as you exit if you'll just go to the left when you exit, you'll, you'll eventually end up in the fellowship hall if you're coming from this side, all right? So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much um, for this day, this hour um, that we've been able to get together and to meet. We thank you that with confidence we can say our days are, are written in your hands. And... Um, when as yet there was none, you you um, you you knew uh, our days, and it's just amazing to me. And you're not confused at all. You know everything going on in our lives. And I think it was Dr. Hughley that said it in his opening prayer. There are many burdens, I'm sure, in this place. And I just pray that um, you would help us uh, that carry burdens to rest in you. And uh, to find that safe place. Thank you for all you do for us. And for the grace that you've extended to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.